Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll take our reading from verses 13 to 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. The apostle writes to the Thessalonian Christians, to the church at Thessalonica, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is so hard to read that in the English Standard Version, because it's burned into my mind how the authorized version reads. I've memorized it, and just it's so hard to do that sometimes. Sometimes I, I'm reading here, and I'm having a mental conflict between what I've memorized and what the English Standard says. Well, let's make a prayer together. Heavenly Father, we're about to engage in something pretty wonderful. We're going to look at this glorious truth of your word. And I pray, Father, that it'll strike the hearts of people here in the way that they need. Some of them need a lot of comfort. Some of them need a reason to look up instead of down. Some people here are wondering what in the world's going on, and they need to have some comfort, some hope, some encouragement. And Lord, there are questions in our minds always about some of these things. And I pray that you would help me to give this message I pray that you give me the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. I pray these things in Jesus' glorious and wonderful name. Amen. The, Paul's entire letter to the Thessalonians is written based on what he had heard from Timothy. Timothy, he, went, he sent to Thessalonica to inquire about the church. And when Timothy comes back, he comes back with a lot of issues. One of the questions they had at Thessalonica is, what's, what about our Christian friends who are dying, and if they're dead and buried, and then Jesus is going to return, are they missing out on his return? Now, the second coming idea is something that's very important to the early church. Remember that in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends, after Jesus rises from the dead, he shows himself to the apostles, to about 500 people at one time, but for 40 days he shows himself to be alive, according to the authorized version, after many infallible proofs. He shows himself to really, truly be alive, that he's physically 
real. He doesn't just show up for 40 hours or 40 minutes. I mean, he hangs around for 40 days. How many of you had family visiting over the holidays? How many of you were ready to see him leave? (laughs) Think about a 40-day visit. A 40-day visit. If my mom and dad said we're coming for 40 days, I'd say, well, don't. (laughs) For 40 days, he shows himself to be alive. But right before, at the end of that 40 days, the apostles are wondering, what's next? What's next? And, he said, and, they, and they say to him, Acts chapter 1, verse number 6, Wilt thou at this time set up the kingdom? Because the return of Christ has this promise with it, is that when Jesus returns, he's going to set up the millennial kingdom. And they say, are you going to do it now? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But what you should occupy yourself with, he says, is Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, is to be my witnesses throughout all the world of my death and resurrection of the gospel. That's what he is doing, right? And so these Thessalonian Christians, when Paul goes there and talks to them, he tells them about the return of Christ. He says he must have been saying it was imminent at the time, although after he writes 2 Thessalonians, I'm not so sure he is telling them it was imminent because of what he says in chapter 2, but that's a sermon for next week. They're wondering about the return of Christ. And they said, we should all be looking for the return of Christ. And so they are thinking normally, well, what about Christians who are dead? Where are they going to fit into this return of Christ? If there's going to be a visible return to the visible church, what about those Christians who have died? What's their role in the resurrection? They're, They're concerned about it. Now you say, well, how could they be concerned about it? They had the greatest Bible teacher ever, the Apostle Paul. Keep in mind... That Thessalonians is either the second or the third of the New Testament literature written. Now, it's my opinion. It's an old opinion. My opinion is that Matthew's gospel was written first. How do I know Matthew was written first? Because in the introduction to Matthew in your Schofield Reference Bible, it says Matthew was written in 37 A.D. Amen? That's what the school, you're amening what the Schofield says, amen? <laughs> then, either Galatians or 1 Thessalonians. So the only New Testament that exists when Paul writes this letter is either Matthew, some people say Mark, it's either Matthew or Mark, or Galatians. There's no New Testament literature written. And plus, the Christian church had only been in existence for About 20 years. 20 years. And here we are in 2023, believe it or not, and Christianity has been around for 2,000 years, and we've had access to the whole New Testament for 2,000 years, and so our knowledge, our understanding of the Scriptura Analogia is much bigger. We know more than the Thessalonians could have known. Our doctrine is better than theirs because we have more knowledge, more experience. Christian theologians and pastors have been working through these things for centuries. So our understanding is better. Our level of comfort is better. So they ask about this. 
You say, well, how do you know they asked? Because Paul is addressing it. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. Now, remember, the Thessalonians, some of them are Jews, some of them are pagans. Jews had a theology of resurrection. They believed there would be a resurrection of the dead in the last days. Pagans, they did not believe in a resurrection at all. And so this whole idea of resurrection to the Thessalonians, if they were not Jewish Thessalonians, if they were pagan Thessalonians or Gentiles, then this idea of resurrection to them is something totally new, something that seems preposterous to them. If you want to see how people thought about the resurrection, read Acts chapter 17. If you're following a Bible reading schedule, maybe your Bible reading schedule took you through Acts 17 this morning and you read about how the Athenians responded to Paul's teaching on the resurrection. When he talked about the resurrection, those big brains at Athens, they mocked and they laughed. Just like your high school teacher is going to do sometimes and just like your college professor is going to do sometimes and just like your, uh, you know, your beloved co-workers and friends will do sometimes. They'll laugh at the resurrection. But the resurrection is key to the Christian faith. Now, the Christian faith is a resurrection religion. You cannot be a Christian. Listen to this carefully. You cannot be a Christian without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to believe, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to go to heaven, you have to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead bodily. The bodily resurrection. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9-13. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have to believe in the resurrection. And then the Apostle Paul, he goes in 1 Corinthians, he says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives us hope. He says if there is no resurrection, then we are of all men most miserable, but because there is a resurrection, we have hope because we too will rise from the dead. We will be resurrected as well. And so the Apostle talks to, this, to them about this. Now, he uses a term here in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Now let's talk for a minute about believers who are asleep or believers who are dead. Believers who have died, have passed away, gone on to the reward, whatever word you want to use. What about Christians who are dead? What are they doing? Let's talk about it like this. Where are they and what are they doing? Well, the where they are is they are in the intermediate state. Now, let's say that word together. They're in the what? The intermediate state. Now, the intermediate state, that means temporary. To be in an intermediate state means you're between two places. So if you go up here to Sheboygan schools up here on the hill, there is an intermediate school. There's elementary, intermediate, and then there's high school. Now, those kids, <laughs> we don't count middle school. <laughs> middle school is a, is a made-up religion. <laughs> there's this intermediate state. They're in between two places. Now, sometimes we talk about it being in limbo. You ever been in limbo? I don't mean have you done the limbo. 
I mean, have you been in limbo? You're kind of in between two places. Well, sometimes Christian theologians will say that believers who are dead are in a state of limbo. You'll hear that terminology, and that's a word we understand. But you have to be careful about what that means exactly. This intermediate state or this limbo. Where are the dead in Christ? Well, their bodies are in the ground. Or wherever their body has wound up after they died. Because we know that not everybody gets buried. Some people get burned up in a fire. Some people are cremated and their ashes spread, you know, across the land. Some people, you know, just, just are in wars and their bodies are never recovered. There's all kinds of horrible things can happen to your body after you die. So the body is here on the earth somewhere in some form or another. But the spirit and the soul, which I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion, haven't always held this position, that the Bible uses the term spirit and soul interchangeably. And so Ecclesiastes 12.7 says that when we die, the body goes to the ground, but the spirit returns to God who gave it, the spirit and soul. Right? So the spirit and soul of the believer who dies goes to be with God. Now, we know this because of things the Bible says to us. Now, there's not a lot said in Scripture about the intermediate state, this middle state. So everything we say about it is just kind of an inference or just a little bit of information. You know, God has given us the Bible. And have have you ever... Have you ever found the size of the Bible to be uh, intimidating? You know what you should do? Buy a smaller Bible. (laughs) Get you one that's about an inch thick, (laughs) you know, and about this size. Now, I'm looking around. uh, Some people here have really big Bibles. I mean, I've I've seen some massive Bibles, some bricks, you know. So the Bible can seem intimidating. Now, God hasn't told us everything that's true He hasn't told us everything that he knows in the Scripture because if he did, well, you'd never pick up the Bible. How many of you have ever gone down to the library and said, you guys got any dictionaries? And they say, sure, we got the Oxford English Dictionary. It's right over there. Have you ever done that? How many volumes is the Oxford English Dictionary? I think it's 10 volumes right now. And every year they publish an updated volume. Every year. It's ridiculous. It just grows and grows. You ever gone to a law library and seen all the law books? There's so much you can know, right? But God in his wisdom has given us what we need to know. And he hasn't told us much about the intermediate state, but he has told us quite a bit about the kingdom that's going to come. Redemption. He's talked, he's, it goes like this. He's, talked, he's told us about the fall about redemption and consummation. These are the things the Bible is filled with. But this intermediate state, what Christians are doing right now, who have passed away, we don't know what they're doing exactly. We don't know all that they're doing, but we do know some things. Now, the Apostle Paul here uses a word to describe this intermediate state for Christians, the state of death. He calls it sleep. Now, how many of you people would love to be asleep right now? Don't be tempted. (laughs) The flesh is weak. You may be tempted to go to sleep. 
And I, I feel you. I used to go to church too. Actually, I, st- actually, I still go to church. <laughs> I just do something different now. <laughs> so we don't, we're not really afraid of sleep. We're not really afraid of something we kind of look forward to. I just want to get some rest. Since we lived here in Michigan, you know, we've, uh, you know, changed. We've lived in a different house here. And, you know, you have all these little weirdnesses about new houses. And uh, our new house doesn't have any carpet in it except for the basement and then some of the bedrooms. But our old house in Oklahoma had carpet throughout the house. And, and we had just had new carpet put in the house. And we had some nice, thick, juicy carpet, you know. And I, would, and I loved to lay on the floor. And I'd, sometimes I had to lay on the floor in the living room and sleep or lay on the floor and read. But here in this house, we have hardwood floors. You know, and I don't want to lay on hardwood floors, so I'll go lay on the floor in Lacey's bedroom sometimes or Matt's bedroom. I don't go in the basement because that carpet is, that, that carpet is painful down there. It's Berber. <laughs> it kind of pokes my delicate hide. <laughs> so sometimes... I'll want to get some sleep, and I'll wish, oh, this, I wish I could go, I wish I had my old living room back. Lay on that soft, delicious carpet by the couch and get some sleep. Have you ever hungered for sleep? Just wished you could have some sleep, but sleep won't come. But the Christians, so this idea of sleep is something that we, we kind of relish, something we kind of enjoy. And so the apostle says, these beloved people who have passed away, they are in a state of sleep. They're in a state of rest. They're in a state of comfort. They're in a good spot. You say, well, is Paul the only one that says this? No, Jesus talks about it in John chapter 11, verse 11, where he says that Lazarus, our friend, sleepeth. The apostles say, well, if he's asleep, then he's okay. Jesus says, no, he's not sleeping, he's dead. But he uses this term sleep. And he does the same thing in Luke 8, 52, about, one of the, about Jairus' daughter. The maid is not dead, she sleepeth. Now, this idea of sleep is something that Christian, Christians use and the Bible uses to cause us to think differently about death. To cause us to think differently about death. Because death for the Christian is nothing to fear. Now, death itself is scary. I was, I've been fishing, you know, around here, walking through these rivers. And a couple of weeks ago, I decided I was going to try some night fishing down in the Pigeon River. So I was in the middle, in the middle of the night, you know, couldn't find any carpet to lay on. So <laughs> I decided to go fishing. I read this, yeah, juicy carpet. So I was reading this, I read this article about nighttime fly fishing. And the article said, you know, go down the river, wade in the river just like normal, fly fish. And I thought, fly fishing at night, how hard can it be? So I got in my truck, I drove down the Pigeon River, and I got down there. And friends, I want you to know that Afton, Michigan is a dark place. Must be, must be the evil in Onaway. <laughs> so I went down there and I had my waders on, got my hat on, got my, got my fly rod. I got down there in the water and I stepped out there in the water and I thought, are there any deep spots out here? And I'm walking around, I'm thinking, I feel, that, I feel that cold water going, 
I think, oh, am I going to step in a hole? Am I going to fill these layers of water? Am I going to drown out here? Because, you know, I don't need a, I don't, I don't have a life vest, you know, because I don't need one, right? <laughs> but you know what? I started thinking about what it'd be like to drown. I thought, man, I hate to drown. So you know what I did? I got out of the river. <laughs> And I drove home. Because death itself as an event is, is frightening. There's not really anything we can do about that. But death is, it's a door that Christians have to go through. It's a door that we probably are all going to have to go through. Because I, I don't think the second coming is coming Anytime soon. So I think death is something we're all going to have to think about. Death is a door through which we pass. But everything the Bible says about death for a Christian is good. Psalms 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the saints. How can death be precious in that way? Well, think about it like this. How many of you are sitting at the house sometimes and you kind of long to see your kids? You kind of want to see your grandkid? You kind of want to see your husband? I know it seems odd to say that, but you kind of want to see your wife. And you kind of long for them. You know, all, uh, the, uh, Leslie and Lacey and Mitchell... You know, they have cars, and, you know, they, they run around doing different stuff. And for a, for a long time, uh, I didn't fix the muffler on Leslie's car, and it would be, wah, wah, wah. And I'd be sitting there on, in the living room in a chair, and she's coming home, you know. And I'd be sitting there waiting on her to come home, and I'd hear that, wah. I could hear it coming from the bowling alley. <laughs> And I'd hear that noise and think, ah, there she is. And she'd slide in there, you know, (laughs) on two wheels. She'd show up, you know, I was happy to see them come in. I I don't know how to describe this. My kids probably never, they won't understand until they have their own kids. But it's so nice at night to just sit there and know everybody's under the roof. Everybody's there. And, you know. This feels good. And every time a Christian passes away, although Christ is with us in our hearts, although God is everywhere, when we, when we die, our spirit and soul passes from this world into the very presence of God. So it's precious to him. It's precious because he knows What's taken place before the death? The fear, the pain, the difficulty. But now as they've passed through, the suffering is all over. Once the Christian passes away, the suffering is all over. No more yucky ever. 
Never. Because we're with him. Psalms 116 verse 15 says that. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the saints. The Apostle Paul, as he's thinking about his own death in Philippians chapter 1, as he's thinking about his own death, he's contemplating his own death, and he knows that if he dies, he's going to leave behind people he cares about. And in Philippians 1, 21 through 23, the Apostle Paul says, I know that the day of my departure is at hand, but I'm in, a, I'm in a strait. I'm in a twist here. I'm conflicted because going to be with Jesus is far better. But sticking around here and helping you guys out is good too. But I like far better. That's what the apostle says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And Acts chapter 7, verse 59 is where Stephen is being stoned to death for his Christian faith by the Jews at Jerusalem. And as he's being stoned to death, right at the the edge of his death, he stands up before them and he says, I see Jesus standing. Father, receive my spirit. And he goes into the presence of the Heavenly Father. And so he goes to sleep. So the apostles and God, they use this word to show us that death for us is not like death for other people. Therefore, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know some things. And I want you to not grieve as people who have no hope. So he's speaking to the living about the dead. And he says, you living people grieve, but not without hope. We grieve, we mourn in hope. The hope of what? The hope of a better future. The hope of resurrection. The hope of reunion. Because every Christian who has passed away, that you know, you're going to see him again in the glory world. There will be resurrection and reunion. Paul says we'll be known even as we're known in that resurrection. Now, the main point of using this word sleep is to show us that death for Christians is not like death for non-Christians. Now, we have this teaching in Luke 16 where Jesus talks about the death of two people. He talks about the death of a beggar, of a poor man, who in this life is so poor and so wretched that he begs for food and he has sores on his body and to get some relief, the dogs come and lick his sores. Now, I don't know how that works exactly. But I do know that having a little puppy come and give you a little lick sure does feel kind of nice. Those little puppies are so great, aren't they? Soft and yummy. Tastes good with rice. (laughs) You know, on Facebook, I put this little thing the other day. It said, the difference between genius and stupidity is genius is nowhere to stop. (laughs) 
So I don't know how that worked exactly. The Lazarus is getting licked by the dogs to soothe him. But that's what it says. And then there's, but Lazarus dies. And the Bible says, and I, think that, and I think this is a scriptural teaching. Jesus is saying this. Jesus wouldn't tell us a lie. Jesus says that when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to paradise. Isn't that just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who cares for us so much that even when we're dying, our souls, which are set free from this sin-cursed body, are met by the angels themselves for this trip into paradise, which can't be very long, but even if it's a millisecond, it's attended by angels into rest. So Lazarus dies, and the Bible says Lazarus is comforted. Comforted. You guys have experienced comfort before, haven't you? You ever had a broken, broken heart, broken hope, broken dream, and go to someone you love and they take you in their arms and they comfort you? Say it's going to be all right. Somebody to, to kind of make the owl, the pain go away. Somebody who comforts you. Lazarus goes from a life of suffering into an existence of comfort. The rich man also dies, the Bible says, but the rich man in Luke 16, he doesn't go to a place of comfort and peace. He goes to a place of torment. Now that word torment is a striking word. And the the Greek word there is even more striking because it means mental and physical anguish. Lazarus, the believer, dies. He goes into a place of comfort. The rich man dies and goes into a place of torments. Now, these are words that are dropping from the lips of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, telling us about the the futures of believers and non-believers. And the point there in that story of Christ is to contrast what it's like for a Christian in the next life after they die and for a person who's not a Christian when they die. Those persons who are Christians, all their sins have been paid for. Past, present, and future sins have been paid for, and they go into rest. Jesus paid the full price on the cross. That's what what Isaiah 53 is all about. But the rich man whose sins are unpaid for, he is in hell paying for his own sins. He's paying for his own sins. He's suffering for the sins he has committed. That's what Jesus says about the differences between where the saved and the unsaved go. Now, if you read Luke 16, if you want to take it literally, which I think is fine to do, Luke 16 describes that the Lazarus is conscious, and he's, he's conscious of his situation, and he's conscious of the other world, it seems, and he's doing all right. The rich man, he's also conscious, and he's conscious of things. There's, there's a, a sermon that I used to hear when I was a kid growing up sometimes. It would be, it was a sermon about, from Luke 16, it was called, Things in Hell We Need in Our Churches. And it was about what the, it's about what the rich man says from hell. And the first one was, the rich man, 
he had a burden for others. Because as he is suffering, he says to Abraham, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers about this place, lest they wind up here too. But he knows that others are coming there. And he's burdened about it. You know, because a lot of Christians don't seem to care at all about it. But that's, that's a part of his torment. That's a part of his suffering. He has to wait for this. He knows it's going to happen. So in the intermediate state, Christians are at rest. They have nothing to fear there. Everything for them is good. And then if you want to turn, you, could, you could, don't, don't turn there. We don't really have time. But Revelation 6, Revelation 7, Revelation 14, and 2 Corinthians 12 all show that the believer who has died, and they're in this intermediate state, their spirit and soul, they are conscious and they're active. They're doing things. And one of the glorious things you see in the Revelation is that what are they doing in heaven? My friends, you know what? I hate to say this to you, but there ain't going to be any fishing in heaven. I hate this. You know, that's, it's dumb for me to hate to say that, you know, because fishing is very frustrating sometimes, isn't it? Sure it is. There's no golf in heaven either. There's no baseball in heaven. And hallelujah, there's no football within 100 miles of heaven. <laughs> there's no Fords in heaven. There's no Chevys in heaven. There's no Toyotas in heaven. There's no cars to get on our nerves and break down. When you go from this life into the next, what you see in the Bible is you are in a state of perpetual, I'm going to use this word, euphoric worship. Because you're face to face with Jesus. And you're worshiping. That's what you see in Revelation. Worshiping. Now, some people say, I can't believe in heaven. We're going to, I, I don't want to worship and sing forever in heaven. Wait till you get there. When my friend Don Fortner died, I called and talked to a mutual friend we have, Tim James. And Tim said, Terry, I said, is it true that Don died? Because I tried to call his wife, but she wasn't taking calls. And I said, is it true that Don died? He said, Terry, yep. He said, just think about what he's doing. Worshiping God without sin for the first time. I've been here in this church and every church I've ever been a part of trying to worship the Lord in singing, in giving, in preaching. And while I'm trying to worship, have my mind plagued with sinful thoughts. And distracts me. And I get so sick of it. Just when you got a, a good worship, I hate to use this terminology, I'm going to do it. When you got a good worship vibe going, something happens to wreck it. You ever been reading your Bible and just feel like the Holy Spirit is just got a, got a blender or egg beaters in your soul? And you don't want to put that Bible down? And then your alarm goes off. Got to get ready for work. Got to leave. A kid says, Dad... Husband said, a wife says, honey, and you're broken out of that? So frustrating. I've been here preaching sometimes and having such a good time preaching that I look out there at you guys like until you all want to go. <laughs> and you're wrecking my vibe, man. <laughs> Come on now. 
But in heaven, none of that. In that intermediate state. We see that's going on. But that intermediate state is not permanent. It's just temporary. You're not going to be in that disembodied position forever. Because this text of Scripture says that the day is going to come when Jesus is going to descend himself into our atmosphere. And he's going to give a shout, a cry, the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. Why are they going to rise? They're going to, they're, they're going to get a new body. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 56. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This mortal shall put on immortal. This earthly shall put on heavenly. A new and glorious body. Changed, free from sin, free from, from weakness, free from doubt in this resurrection. And my friends, think of it like this. The eternity will be enjoyed by you in a soul Slash spirit that has a body like Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, they touched him. They felt him. He ate. He drank. He was real. And you're going to experience eternity. All that stuff from Revelation 21 forward. You're going to experience that in a perfect body. When my mother and dad came to see us, I don't know, a year or so ago, my mom has had some real serious health, health stuff with her, with her balance. And we were going to take them around and show them how great Michigan was, right? Now, in my mind, my, par- my parents are still 40. In my mind, I still, I still think of them as being 40. But they're not. My dad's 110. My mom's 105. <laughs> I said that because my mom listens to my sermons, and I want her to know that... <laughs> Maybe she'll be nicer to me. <laughs> but you know, when, when my mom, she came up to the house, she, was, she had a cane, walking with a cane. And I thought, well, we're not going to be able to walk down to the places I thought we'd walk down to. Her body is going to keep her from doing some stuff. I experienced this my, my own self. And I talked to you guys about playing basketball. I love playing basketball. I can tell you right now, since I've been in Michigan, must be the people up here must be meaner. <laughs> or the ground is harder. But my knees hurt all the time. All the time. I got a black eye Thursday. You guys see it right there? Playing basketball. Got an elbow right in the eyeball. Why? Because I was fouling him. That's why. <laughs> he had to get him off me, you know. Your body can keep you from enjoying stuff. But when you get to glory, you're not going to have that same body. It's going to be a perfect body. And if you want to tour over heaven by foot, you'll be able to. Eternity in a glorious body like Christ. Like Christ. Jesus is going to come that's what he's going to do. This text of Scripture says, Those who believe, 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend. We're going to go up. And i got a lot of things written down here to say about this passage. I'm just going to skip through it, okay? Because I can tell you're having a good time. He wants them to be informed about this. He doesn't want them to be afraid. He doesn't want them to be frightened or uneasy. Al Mohler on this passage, he says, Paul wants to both inform them and give them hope and comfort. He wants them to have comfort and hope. There is a resurrection. Verse 14, belief in the resurrection is what will save you. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't have everlasting life. In verse 14, he again uses this word sleep. There's nothing to fear here. And it's only a temporary state because we will be awakened to this new existence. Verse 15, he says, we say this by a word from the Lord. There is a glorious revelation. This is a special message from God. Paul in 1 Corinthians calls it a mystery that's been revealed. So it's something you can only know in the new covenant. The dead will rise, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-56 talks about this gloriously change, this glorious change we're going to experience. In verse 16, you may say, well, how do I know this is going to happen? How do I know when, this, when Jesus is going to return? Jesus, when he's going to come back, is going to make it really obvious. Really obvious. Valerie, that's my wife. And sometimes there's, she'll have things she wants people to do at home. Any of you ladies ever have things you want the people who live with you to do? And you can tell them, right? How many of you, you sisters tell your family stuff they need to do? What's your success rate? (laughs) How many things actually get done when you just tell? Hmm? I bet it ain't too good. But right above the stove, on the Ventahood thing, Valerie will write notes. And they're hanging down, kind of flapping in the breeze. Big print. Very obvious. Terry, please do blah, blah, blah. And if it's, and I've walked up to that thing before and seen as many as five lists. One for me, one for Mitchell, one for Leslie, one for Lacey, one for Matt. And when Lauren was still with us, one for Lauren. Everybody gets a little job. Or she'll put it at your place at the table. Sometimes she'll lay candy on top of them. To lure us <laughs> to the list. Like a trapper trying to get a beaver, you know. I'll, the, I'll, I'll get them. She wants us to, to get it done. And so when Jesus returns, notice the terms here. He's going to come down himself. This will be an experience. And then three things here about the sound. A voice. It's a cotton picking thing. A voice a cry, and a trumpet. 
And this, <laughs> this cry here is, the, is, the, is a cry of incitement. So we, on Wednesday nights at Faith Kids, we'll play games here. And we'll play like a volleyball or play a wiffle ball. And so, and, the, and uh, there's, 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 a, there's a kid who's here right now. And whenever they do well at that and they score a point, it's, let's go! <laughs> That's 10 more minutes of preaching. <laughs> Have you ever incited people? Let's go. Come on. We got them. Don't give up. Let's go. It's a cry of incitement. It's a cry from heaven. Come on. Let's go. The voice of an archangel. The Greek words here tell us that this is very clear and very intelligible. Not the way I talk. Very clear. And then trumpet. The Greek word here doesn't really mean trumpet. It seems to mean rever, 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 rever. You know when it vibrates the walls? What's that word? Reverberate. A rattling noise. Shaking the world. Because when Jesus comes, we're all going to know. There he is. And we'll rise to meet him. The dead will rise, the Christian dead. We'll go to be with him in the air. And how long is this going to be? Forever. We shall ever be with the Lord. Now, the big question is about things like this is always when. When is this going to take place? And that's what chapter 5 is about. When. Paul anticipates their question. He says, this is what's going to happen, and they're going to want to know when. In chapter 5, Paul says, it's going, to, it's going to some people, it's going to catch them unawares, like a thief in the night. Right? But he said, not for us, because we know he's coming, and we need to be ready. And so my final thing I want to say to you this morning is, is are you ready? Are you ready when death comes? Death's going to come to us all. I have, I have very little doubt about that. Death is going to come to us all. And if, if death comes to you, and you have not put your personal faith in Jesus Christ, when I say personal faith, I mean that's you making a decision to trust Christ as your Savior. Not somebody doing it for you, not your church doing it for you, but I mean you. If you have not called upon Christ to save you, when death comes, you're not going to go be with Lazarus in paradise. You're going to be with the rich man in torments. Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Death's going to come. And it comes unexpectedly. Even though, we know, even though we all know it's a possibility. It just shows up. Are you ready? And then, my friends, Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, there's going to be a separation. Everybody who's a believer, both living and dead, into the sky. And everybody who's not is going to be left behind. And everybody who's left behind 
There's no hope for them. Zero. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. To me, it's painfully obvious. Only two resurrections in the Bible. Only two. One for the believers and one for the unbelievers after the millennium. Put your faith in Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Nobody looking around, nobody talking. Now, now listen, friends. This, this is so important to the fate of your soul. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, you never asked Jesus to save you, you should do it right now. Now, I can't make you do it. I want you to do it. I beg you to do it. Call out to him. You say, well, I don't know what to say, how to do that kind of thing. Here's what the Bible says. In Luke 16, Luke 18, I'm sorry. The Bible says that a man went up to the temple and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said about those words, that man went down justified, saved. If you'll cry out to Christ and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe you've risen from the dead. He'll save you. You say, well, I don't know if he can. He will. Put your trust in him, not yourself, not in your understanding. Call upon him and he will save you. If you've never done that, do it now. Call upon him. Lord, save me. Be merciful to me. He'll save you. He'll give you what you need to get to heaven. He'll give you righteousness. He'll infuse you with his Holy Spirit. And you'll be his. Call upon him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this precious promise of Scripture that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray, Father, that, well, thank you for telling us what it's going to be like when we pass over to you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace we need in these moments. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.